Hello, welcome to the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast for the week of September 5, 2016. This is episode 284 and I am Chris Bevelo, EVP at Revive Health. I am here in the second return episode of the podcast. We're so excited because we had a ton of listeners return for our first um, return podcast, which was last week. So hopefully folks will continue to listen in and we'll add new people. If you're new to this or if you forgot what the heck it was about because we were gone for eight months, this is what we call a forum for riffing and ranting on hot or important healthcare marketing topics, trends, and ideas with a whole lot of other noise thrown in. Uh, you'll be happy to know that I'm not alone in this podcast. You don't have to listen to me drone on. I have a very special guest with us, Jill Austin from Vanderbilt. Hi, Jill. Hello there, Chris, and everybody out there. Thank, millions of people, by the way. <laughs> millions of people listen to our podcast, if you didn't know that. Excellent. Yes, yes. So, Jill, I always refer to you as CMO at Vanderbilt, but I know that's not necessarily your whole title. Why don't you tell people your title, what you do, all that good stuff. Sure. Give them some background. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. And it's great to be great to be here and great to be with you. So, um, you know, the tricky part about being a CMO in healthcare is when you introduce yourself at the same time as your chief medical officer and uh, who takes umbrage at you saying that you're the CMO. <laughs> <laughs> so chief marketing officer, and just by the way, I have done that accidentally. I have stood next to my chief medical officer and said, okay, my interest coming. Don't say chief medical officer. Don't say chief medical officer. And then I'll say chief medical officer. So um, anyway, enough said oh, on that. So definitely umbrage as, would, would as be the CMO marketing officer, at uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Uh, my responsibilities and my team responsibilities are really to oversee the entire uh, engagement with uh, the world from Vanderbilt University Medical Center and all its, all its entities. So everything from who are we to how do we engage to how do we think about bringing the right people into our institution and all of our services, that's all part of what our team does. Yes, and there are a lot of entities and responsibilities and areas that you cover. I think that's very fair to say. That's that's true. Everything from our children's operations to adults to now we're even part of our population health efforts. And I've learned how to spell P4P and what it means. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or supposedly what it means. I think I think the industry might be making it up as it goes along, but that's okay. Yes. This is true. This is true. There's a lot of things that are made up as, as we go along. I think that's gives us at least a little bit of joy in our day. Exactly. To find joy somewhere, right? <laughs> so, Jill, you and I have worked together now for coming on two years. We're coming up on two years. That's right. um, and we have the privilege, I think you would call it a privilege, of speaking at the upcoming Shushmid or Shushmid. Now, every time we talk about this, we have to stop and take a little mini poll. Do you say Shushmid? Or do you say Shushmid? Oh, baby. I think I say something third, the third choice, which is Shushmid. Is that what you said? Is that, was oh. that one of my choices? Shushmid. Like shush. Yeah. Med. Uh-huh. So that's how I say it. Shushmid. Shushmid. And some people say shiz. Yeah. Like for shizzle. How about for shizzle med? <laughs> I think they might like that. We might suggest <laughs> that to might. them. What do you think? <laughs> I will try it. But how do you so spell it? No, don't worry about that. <laughs> no, I know. Let's not spell it. Uh, so we are speaking, we are co-presenting at this the upcoming Shushmid, which is in uh, their annual conference called Connections, which is in Chicago this year. We are speaking on, let me get the date right, Tuesday, 
September 13th at 1.45 in the p.m. So if you're attending the conference, please come hear us speak because we are going to be talking about re-engineering. And we, we touched on this a little bit. I'm going to give a little bit of an intro to what we mean by re-engineering. And then Jill and I are going to talk a little bit about what we're going to cover. So if you are thinking about attending, you will be completely enticed to come. And if you're not able to attend, then at least you'll get to hear a little bit about what we're going to talk about. Uh, but we picked the title of re-engineering intentionally uh, because we've talked a lot about transformation over the years and the need for transformation in healthcare marketing and communications. And what we've kind of come to discover uh, at Revive Health, and a lot of it I think came from our experience with Jill and her team over the last uh, 18 months really, was that transformation almost doesn't do it justice. Uh, because it's a very reactive term, and it and I said this in the last podcast. I'm going to repeat it for you, Jill. If you've ever seen the movie Bugs Life, which you have to have kids of a certain age, have you seen that movie? I have. Yeah. Okay. So there's a there's a praying mantis. So it's like a traveling carnival of a traveling circus, I guess, of insects. And one of them is a magician who's a praying mantis, and he does this bit that's that's part of the the plot. But but when he kind of he puts. I don't even know who it is, like in a magic box. And then he says, transformation. And he pulls the curtain back. And whatever it was before is this beautiful butterfly. And I feel like a lot of healthcare marketers think that that's what's going to happen to them. That there's all this change going on. And somebody's going to pull a curtain and say, transformation. And they'll be magically teleported to this new place. But what we know, most of us know, and what Jill knows all too painfully, uh, and her team and anybody who's gone through this at the level that Jill's undertaken it is that it's not anything like that. It's a very intentional, uh, difficult, proactive journey that you have to have a lot of intentionality around. You have to have vision around and you have to have a lot of persistence, right? A lot of resilience. You just have to keep going and going and setbacks and all this thing. And so we just felt like transformation makes it sound too sexy or pretty and really we we dug up a term from the 1990s of re-engineering which sounds a lot more like what it is it's hard work there's a little bit of mechanics involved um, it's just i think better captures the proactive nature of it so that's what we called our presentation re-engineering um, our approach to marketing uh, and jill do you think that's a fair assessment of what you've gone through since the beginning of 2015 oh yeah absolutely in fact um one of the things that I was going to talk about was the fact that, uh, you know, I saw this recent statistic that if you take the Myers-Briggs types and you array them on some kind of a curve of people that are uh, attracted to change and people who are resistant to change, only about 30% of the Myers-Briggs type are attracted to change. And that therefore leaves 70% who are resistant. <laughs> so change is hard. It is hard and it's hard work. And uh, a transformation is, is, you're right, it's too magical of a word that does imply, you know, blink your eyes and, and you're into the new and next scenario. And, and that is not at all what we found. I, I guess in a way I'm kind of glad I I didn't know that when we undertook it. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would say to all of my, um, all the people out there that are thinking about it, which is, it is better to go in with some kind of a realistic idea about what you've, what you've got in front of you so that you can set up your game plan for success. 
Right, right. And there's, you know, there's so many funny stories about how this journey started and, and what you've been through. But the one that I always think about is the very beginning when you know we first connected and we started talking about this and it really was driven by a charge from your CEO, right? Who had said, hey, we're known for social media. Vanderbilt, your team had, really had grown a reputation for how you leverage social media. You were out in front of it and all that stuff. How are we gonna do that with everything else? How are we going to apply the values of our organization, which are about innovation and being leaders in the country and in the industry to marketing? And so you kind of took that charge and said, okay, we've got to figure out how are we going to, what are we going to become? What is this new thing we're going to become? And we did all this intensive work and you, you went back to him. Do you remember this? Um, to present. Yes, I do. And he had, he had forgotten <laughs> that he had asked the question, right? Um, to which, if, if I remember you telling it right, you just kind of, you kind of chuckled and said, okay, well, we, we still want to show you this, right? And what you ended up showing him, he just loved and he embraced. And has, I know you want to talk about that, but I love some of the, um, I don't know what the right word is, but just, you know, some of this stuff is luck. Some of it is, you know, you've got to persevere for things like that. And that's just go, okay, well, we just won't worry about it since you forgot you asked the question. Um, that stuff just makes me laugh. Yes. yes. So, um, well, yes. So first of all, what we did was we kind of reframed the question. So though mm -hmm. he started from the idea that where we were with social media was kind of an asset and how do we take that asset and really expand it and become known for it as you said what's the future of it look like so we took that as code for oh he really is asking us what's the future of engagement and what does engagement really look like and so that's we brought back a much bigger answer uh, to right. to the, to the literal question, um, so so maybe it worked in our advantage that he didn't remember the literal question because <laughs> we came back with a much yeah. bigger answer, um, and and the great part was is that it really resonated with where uh, where his thoughts about where the institution could go, and you know within months I think I've shared this with you before that we 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 had our session. To vision in January. February was when we went back and talked to him. And by our next leadership assembly, where we assemble some 400 to 600 managers across the institution, mm -hmm. that was part of the, his keynote. This is the future of where we're going. And, and really, literally, the vision that we shared was the vision that went up on that screen. So it was a home run in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the other important part of that is, again, you've been on this journey for 18 months and now you're going to talk about some of the things that have happened along the way. But it was so important, I think, to start with the idea of a vision of where do you want to end up? Because it, it was so big and it was I mean, I remember, you know, we had a, we had like three days of sessions. Right. And digging through and there were there were dark moments where people would see things up on the wall and go, how in the bleep are we actually going to do this? And it was like, well, we don't worry about that now. We worry about this is what we think we want to be, knowing that there is a ton of work ahead. And it's not just for your team, right? Right. It's for the enterprise. But having that clear vision is something that a CEO can grab onto. Right. And say, I can own that. I can be part of that. I can sing that. Yes. And then that allows you then to pursue that vision. Yes. And I think you've made a really important point, which is, in a visioning process, that idea of the suspension of disbelief, you know, is to really come into that with 
open eyes about um, sort of setting aside your day-to-day plate and really thinking about what all of the possibilities are and, and not hampering yourself with all the that can't be done or I have so much to do now, what am I, how am I going to get that done? You know, I'm going to actually talk about a, little, a couple of those as we go through the, um, the, the, the question about what were the challenges or what were the changes that needed to come about and how do we tackle them. But, but that idea of visioning really requires you to set aside your day-to-day plate and really mm-hmm. think about what is it, what are the possibilities, and then worry about how do we start to make that so. That's right. That's right. And it helps to be away from the office. It helps to have the right setting. There's a lot of secrets to success for that. Yeah. But, but certainly having the right mindset um, is so critical because otherwise it's just it, it just seems so ominous. It's so big um, that you just start feeling, well, what's the point of this? We're never going to get it done. And, and like you like to talk about, you know, it's been 18 months, but still you look up and you go, wow look at all the stuff that we've got done right that's right you, you know you're 18 months you're in it day to day and 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 your real life work plate enters back in and 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 this was really a great this was really a great exercise for us to put this presentation and talk together because it really did remind me and the team how far we've come in 18 months it was really exciting to see so talk about some of the accomplishments some of the things that you feel like you look back and you go Look, here's an example. Here's another example of things that we've changed or have moved the organization to that we would have never done if we hadn't had this. Sure, absolutely. So journey. So a couple of things that that I would just point to. One was sort of back to the vision and how it captured people's imagination. So we taught the organization how to tell a story uh, and actually really, in a sense, we taught them how to use a persona. And mm-hmm. we noticed that other parts of the organization started to pick up on starting their presentations with some kind of a story. So we, autom- we already infused a new idea into the organization about communication and personalization just from our process alone. The, another was the IT team got together and said, oh, this is fantastic. We, we, this vision has enabled us to then think about how do we take our technologies and support that. And so that was an exciting accomplishment. We launched a uh, very, we launched a really, what became a really popular platform called My Southern Health, which in essence is a blog that was about communicating to people about content that they were interested in, not about asking for people to come into our clinics and, and our services. And I think we're at over 600,000 views now. So that was exciting. The team also contributed to online appointments. So we were able to help stand up a self-appointing mammogram site. So you can actually go in there and literally make your own appointment for your mammograms now. And also we were able to stand up a request for online appointments. So again, something that we are really proud that we were able to contribute to in a very short time. And I would tell you that part of our vision, our Ashley story, helped to have the organization be willing to put the time and resources to pause on other work to make that happen. Right, right. So a couple things there. You mentioned Ashley. That's the persona you, you were talking about before, which again is a great memory from those visioning where we had teams and people went away to try to describe 
the vision, like, you know, individually as teams. And somebody came back, a team came back and had used a persona of, I think they called her Ashley. And that then became the, the vessel for the vision, the vision. So not just, you know, there was a descriptive vision, but also what your team did was show how does this vision actually show up in the life of somebody that we are serving and showed that timeline from from a young woman all the way through to, you know, an, an older woman, same woman, Ashley. But if we are showing up in this way in the future, this is how we're going to benefit Ashley. And so that to me is is what you're talking about, that power of not just getting into the nitty gritty and the details and all the things that need to change, but that's something IT can get into and that's something the CEO got into, right? Um, the other part of what you're talking about, I think that's that's really important here is that this your vision that you created, if if you're true to the idea of engagement and consumerism, you can't stay within the traditional walls of marketing. You've got to engage other parts of the organization to do this. IT, you know, first and foremost, right? But population health management and patient education and uh, both through technology, but also just so the online scheduling. Like you can't marketing can't do that themselves. Yes, they can't create online scheduling by themselves. They they can they can promote the need for it and and drive it internally, but they got to work with IT. They got to work with operations, uh, and having that vision is something you can bring to the table and say, "This is why we want to do this. This is why we want to invest in it." Um, it really helps you as you go out within the organization. That's exactly right. And in fact, that's an area that I would say it was one of the uh, one of the challenges I think we had as as the marketing organization was sort of stepping back and looking at the plate of things that needed to happen in order to support this vision. And the words kept coming back. But marketing isn't authorized to do that. Marketing isn't equipped to do that. Marketing can't do that by themselves. And and I kept saying, exactly. (laughs) But that, but that's revisioning what what our group what is what is marketing's purpose and part of marketing's purpose is to connect right we're supposed to connect the external part of the organization to the internal and the internal part of the organization to itself so it really is an extension of what we do but thought of a, a different way uh, yeah and really those kinds of things about. Uh, about jumping over the the walls of, but marketing doesn't do that. We absolutely had to do that while we were thinking about how were we going to take all these disparate systems that we have, at, and 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 <laughs> and collect them into something that at least talks to each other, you know, for the sake of our customer out there or the person that we're trying to talk to out there so that they can talk to us like we're one organization and that we know them and that right. we're using one voice. There's no way to get to that unless you talk to the other people who have some kind of vested interest in that as well. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And that you touched on one one of the tools that we use in the visioning and then the subsequent planning, what we call the axes of change. So these multiple axes where here's where you're, basically current state to future state. And there were I don't remember seven or nine initially, and I think it's been adjusted a little bit. But one voice was one of those axes, one of the, an axis of change of moving from. You know, I remember the example somebody gave that they had received three different inputs for a flu shot, like two phone calls and a postcard from, di- and this was an employee of Vanderbilt University Medical Center, right? Um, from different 
places, different, you know, their doctor's office, and then maybe there was some kind of meaningful use, wide effort. The yeah, meaningful yeah, use people and the internal right. employee health people, and yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want that one voice in the market, but there's no way, to your point, you're going to get that without technology and systems aligned. Right. Right. And so right. that's a great example. And, and it's interesting because there's depends on who you want to bring to the party and what what's the the way that's of appeal so for some parts of our organization one voice really appealed so for example our philanthropy arm they really understand that idea that how can we be sending information in some coordinated manner so we're not inadvertently sending an ask for giving in the middle of somebody's in some inappropriate moment. Right. So, so right. they really understood. But other parts of the organization, it was more about um, thinking about, is there some sort of a common platform that we could, we could uh, help introduce to the institution that would help them do their work more efficiently? And so we used our RFP process for our CRM system as a way to gather lots of parts of the organization that that would be a platform that would help them in their work. And did we sit there and say, this is about one voice? No, <laughs> but, right. but will it ultimately help us do that? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned, you mentioned the challenge of how people perceive marketing and trying to overcome that. Do you have an example of another challenge that kept you up at night or kept popping up? Oh gosh, <laughs> so many to count. <laughs> um, one, uh, <laughs> one example of something I thought would really be important to talk about is the word promotion. So we kept talking about this whole concept of moving marketing from focusing on promotion to focusing on engagement. And I have to tell you that that promotion word became really an emotionally charged word. And mm-hmm. part of it, I think, is people have people assign different meanings to it. So for those of us that have spent years in the marketing craft and pride ourselves on understanding how to find the unique selling proposition and how to understand why people would be interested and know what the right call to action is and, and how to position it in their language and, you know, and not in the language of the institution, we felt like you know, we were marketing correctly. Promotion to us meant kind of, you know, sort of fly by night or, you know, really hawking your wares and doing it in a way that aren't I great. And so, gosh, the team took that in as really an insult to their, their profession. And it was really hard. And I would say this is like one of the number one, if you don't get anything else, (laughs) this is it. (laughs) This really is, is to reframe that about uh, about really understanding what is the content that's appropriate for whoever it is out there that you're trying to build a relationship or engage with in terms of where are they? Are they really ready to in, begin to look for service or are they just out there living their life? And I think, Chris, one of the ahas I had about this was when I was reading your second book, I remember distinctly it was over Christmas holidays. The, it was over the holidays, and because I remember staying up like half the night and getting to the example on the refrigerator. What a great, what a great example! The difference between 
these are great features about a refrigerator and how big it is and what color and, it, and, it, and it's got a quality award and it fits, you know, does something great with your freezer. And I could care less about that because I am not in the market and don't think I will be anytime soon. But boy, if you gave me information about how to freeze my food so that when I thawed it, it was just like fresh, I'd be interested. Right. That was the turning point for me, understanding what we were talking about when we say not promotion, but, but, but engagement. Right. Right. That's great. That is a big shift. It's a really big shift. It is a big shift. I can remember us, you know, in the conference room working on the guide for prostate cancer and, and having this, we finally, and having this debate about where is this the content in the, in the cycle of engagement with, with a, potential, uh, a potential patient or somebody that's out there. And, and right. we had uh, the room divided. <laughs> One half was, well, this is about bringing patients in. And the other half was about, wait a minute, this is just about, you know, having content that people find useful. And it makes all the difference in terms of how the content is written and how it's pointed. Right. That's right. So it's, it's a significant shift that we're going through as an industry. And you see more and more of it. Um, which is good news, yes. right? People understanding that right. it's a subtle difference, but it's a major difference. Right. And let me say, the answer to that question is, both is right. It's right. knowing That's right. it's knowing when, when, and to whom you are inviting them to to consume that uh, content. That's right. And you yeah. said it earlier. It's it's, and that could be the same person, but at a different time, a different place in time. That's right. Right. Today, I may just. You know, I'm I'm turning 50 <clears throat> soon. Let's say within the next couple of years, <laughs> and so I may be open to a, a guide to prostate cancer that's just about prevention. And hey, you're turning 50, you should be thinking about this and colonoscopy and all that kind of stuff. Um, but not, you know, I'm not in the market for it specifically, or I'm certainly not in a place where I have colon cancer or something like that, which is the next step, which could come after that, or you know, could come up tomorrow. I don't know. So that's the difficulty is identifying that, but that's where you need those technologies and that's where you need to at least recognize that difference. And the difference in relevance is the key word. That's right? right. What's relevant to me today may be different than tomorrow. Right. Relevance, again, a wonderful term. And I would say that that concept and then communicating that now back internally into our service lines, into our services, into our patient care centers, we are actually finishing a series of roadshows about that very topic to help them understand why, why we may be putting messages, why there might be different messages in different places than they expect. And, right. and, and that's a really important conversation. That's another yeah. one of those axes that I would just touch on, which is uh, when you begin to do new work, then it's really important to get as efficient as you possibly can about the other work that you have on your plate. And one of the things that we have been able to work towards is a arrangement with our patient care centers where we're now beginning to have great conversations about what is the real problem we're trying to solve? What's the real opportunity that's on the table? It can be in lean process improvement speak or just what is the real problem we're trying to solve? So whereas we may be going into the conversation with part of us thinking the real problem is what's the message on the billboard, 
Right. The, the real problem might be something's changed about our numbers of people that we're seeing. No, why? Right. Right. And to get to the heart of that, and it has nothing to do with the billboard, it may be because one of your doctors is a crank or there's a disconnect in admissions or who knows what, right? Uh, well, let's just, just, no, let's just go on record saying none of my doctors are cranks. No, no, no. <laughs> it's theoretical, completely conceptual. Just kidding. Yeah. So. All right. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Yeah. I'm also getting a, I'm getting a weird warning. Are you getting that warning? Yes. Joe? Do you see that? Stay hmm. with free. I think I know what that is. Upgrade account. Yes, it is a it's the way we've set up how we're recording it. So we have it. The time is ticking. This is going to be like an episode of 24. Okay. Where we're, but at least they're telling us because a lot of times it just says your meeting has ended <laughs> and you're done. So is there do you want to talk a little bit about what's coming next for you um, in terms of this journey? Because, again, this is something that really began at the very, very end of 2014. You've accomplished so much in the, the roughly 18 months since then. Uh, but you still have stuff to do, right? So are, what are some of the things that are on the horizon for you in terms of continuing this re-engineering journey? Absolutely. From a really big picture perspective, we're now into territory of what are the major platforms that that we can put in place that allow us to to do to, to operationalize some of the vision. So, you know, for example, is there some major platform that has to do with women's that we want to put in place that 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 really lifts us up to an to an overall level and and isn't just focused on very specific services. So a couple of those I think we have in the pipeline, which is very exciting. So that's from a big picture perspective. And then from a team perspective, in parallel, we are now working on uh, how we work in project teams across our our expertise from uh, our, you know different types of expertise so that we can in fact uh, maximize what we know across the institution across the market think about uh, personas and serving people that are out there and then bring that back to understand well then how do our service lines fit into that so i think Mm -hmm. that's if we accomplish some of that this year that will be a great year wow that's great that's great all right, so remember, come see Jill and I speak if you're going to Shizmid for Shizzle <laughs> on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, so just next week uh, at 1.45 in the afternoon. Um, and I will be there from Sunday through Wednesday. Jill, how long are you going to be there? I'll be there Sunday through Tuesday night. Sunday through Tuesday night. Okay, so if you want to talk to either of us individually, you probably can find us pretty easily at the conference. There's a lot of people there, but... If you want to find somebody, you can find them. So one more thing before we go, um, as as our listeners know, we like to talk about fun things. And um, I discovered this fact that I want to share about Jill. Not many people know this about Jill. Is that fair to say? Uh, you know what I'm going to talk about. Is true. that fair to say? That's true. Okay. Yeah. So when you attended the University of, of I wrote North Dakota. Oops. Not North <laughs> Dakota, North Carolina, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, you were awarded the prestigious Andy Griffith Scholarship. Now, can you describe for the audience what that entails? How about that, huh? Andy Griffith. So as I'm sure you all might remember, Andy Griffith <laughs> was a, um, a, a really f- kind of f- a fun figure who had his own TV show and in North Carolina, and he was an alumni of UNC, and he's a fine musician. 
And so he funded a, a vocal scholarship for, uh, for an incoming student. And I think it might have been some blend, blend of talent and, and scholastic piece, but, um, but nonetheless, I, I was privileged or honored to have that. And what I think is really fun about that is when you think about Andy Griffith, you don't really think about classical music, you know, opera and art song mm-hmm. doesn't really come to your mind. So isn't that fun that Andy's work you know, supported that. I can remember after my senior recital that I sent him a tape at that time as a tape of my senior recital, and he was kind enough to write me a note back. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So that was fun. That's nice. And I have seen the fruits of your musical talents. <laughs> um, one of my favorite stories. So most of the people in the audience know we put on the Joe Public Retreat at least once a year. So we gather together marketers and we dig into a lot of this stuff. And it's, it's always at a cool place and it's a lot of fun too. And this was... Uh, it was like a year ago. I can't remember exactly. Maybe the beginning of 2015, somewhere in there, right? And Jill, you were attending one, and it was at the dinner. So we had, I know there's maybe 20 of us there. And um, we were doing, we had decided to play some kind of game where we had teams, and each team had to like designate how they would survive the zombie apocalypse. That's it, yes. Right. And your talent in surviving the zombie apocalypse was your opera singing and you sang for us all uh and it was amazing like you're really good at it <laughs> and what i what was so hysterical was you sat down and somebody in another team said something to the effect of well how's that going to help you in a zombie apocalypse and you turned around and you gave them like an operatic like beat down like you just like went red at them like if, <laughs> if, if your opera voice was a laser it would have like shot through their forehead it was so awesome it was so awesome i'd never seen anybody like dissed with opera but you did it it was so great well maybe it's my andy griffith scholarship right that gave me the tools for you know taking someone down with that opera stuff i think so <laughs> i think so yeah. Well, That's I think fun. we should wrap up before the before the technology closes us down. Good but plan. this is a good time. I think we've been on for about a half hour, so perfect timing. Jill, so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for asking me. Absolutely. And so, again, Jill and I will be at Shushmid. So hopefully if you're attending, uh, come seek us out. And if you're not, then hopefully this give you some insight onto the, the, the ups and the downs, the joys and the pains of reengineering your marketing approach. So for the Healthcare Marketing Underground, this is Chris Bevelo and Jill Austin. And we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. Thanks.